love, kindness, human connection. These are some of the things we talk about on the Danny Painter Show. It's a thing. This show is intended for a more mature audience. We might sometimes say bad words. How do you come back from the worst thing that's ever happened to you? How do you come back from taking someone's life away? Lo Breitenbach did exactly that. He's our guest this week. So I'm very, very excited to speak to you. So I started following you. I don't know how I found you. I think someone shared something yeah. about you and then I followed you. And then I saw that you were like on this journey of like health and fitness. And, stuff. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, this is my journey. This is what I want to talk about. But then I Googled you yeah. and I was like, holy shit, you have been through so much. So I want to talk about. It has been a journey. <laughs> no, definitely. But it always is. Okay, so we have Lo Breitenbach. And if you don't know, you should know. You should go to his Instagram because he has Vs for days. Like for days. <laughs> <laughs> Lo, welcome to the Joe and Danny show. This is exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. You are a TV presenter. You are an actor. You are a fitness enthusiast. Tell me, where are you from? Who are you at the core of you? So I grew up and still am in Boxburg. I planned my great escape to Cape Town. I was in Johannesburg. I was in Georgia for a while in the US. And now I'm back at my roots. So at the core of me, just a very humble, regular guy um, from a small town named Boxburg. And uh, I used to stay in Clearwater Estate in Boxburg. And then if people ask me where I'm from, I just used to say, no, Clearwater, because <laughs> I was so ashamed of my little town. <laughs> and as you get older, you realize that, listen, it's not so much where you're from, it's what's inside you. And that has been the biggest part of the journey is not being so ashamed of my past anymore. You know what, Laura, this is so funny that you say this because I am born and bred Brackpan. Like I still do. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm recording this in Brackpan as we speak. You're like, in the triangle. Exactly. <laughs> but also like I used to be so embarrassed. I live in Brenthurst in Brackpan. And when people yeah. used to ask me, where are you from? Because I did kids TV from years ago. And I would always be like, yes. I'm from, I'm from Brenthurst. I'm from Brenthurst. <laughs> But no, girl, you're from Brackpan. Like, you don't wear shoes to the mall sometimes. Like, you are from Brackpan. <laughs> I hear you. I can totally relate. <laughs> okay, so how does a kid from Boxburg end up as a TV presenter and an actor on a massive show? So um, what happened actually is something that started in the sixth grade. So... I have a long line of just being born with ADHD and um, I think depression and anxiety, all of that was just so part of my childhood. Um, I had my first suicide attempt when I was uh, 12 years old. And um, the first time I was diagnosed with depression, I was 10 years old. So I was a very drawn back and shy child. And eventually in the sixth grade, my teacher approached my parents and she's like, listen, Lo is a wonderful achiever and he does so well in class, but can you please just maybe consider enrolling him into drama classes? Because it's very cool that he wants to hang out with me the whole time, but I would also like to have a break time because I would have stayed in a class during break time because I was so scared to socialize <laughs> with kids my age. So yeah. And then, um, it became this love for theater and acting and the biggest turning point came in uh, 10th grade when I was 16 I got the opportunity to travel to Los Angeles um, for a drama competition and that's where I decided this is it I'm leaving math uh, leaving science <laughs> I want to be an actor and I took all the easy subjects and I'm like this is it done I just need to pass languages and drama and I'm good <laughs> so Wow. What did your parents say? Were they supportive of this or were they like, yeah, you need something to fall back on? Because my family was like, you need something to fall back on. They did. I think it's a main concern of every parent uh, to have that fallback plan. But I'm stubborn as all hell. Mm. Um, it's the Taurus in me. <laughs> so um, 
Ulcer meat. Really? Yes. Really? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I we love are. It. We are so brother and sister. This... We are twinning, yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, they uh, were very supportive. I'm very fortunate that they were supportive, but they always left that little message of, listen, if this perhaps does not work out, have a plan B. I was never great at plan Bs. So um, my plan B was I just started here to school to make sure I had money to pay my studies. So at 21, I had a theater (laughs) that I started from my parents' uh, little cottage in the yard, started with four kids. And a couple of years later, we had 170 students. And now I've got five branches in the country. So (laughs) it's just like a little a little cycle that keeps happening. The overachiever didn't go away, but at least I'm less shy. So now if someone asks what I do, I don't say I'm a TV presenter and I don't say I'm an actor because I know those contracts are very fickle and they can change any moment. So I just say I'm a business owner. You know, it sounds more posh. It's the same struggle, but <laughs> at least it sounds like like you're making it. Oh my gosh. I, you know what, this is, you have taken me by surprise. Google and research has let me down. I am ashamed <laughs> as an interviewer. I did not know this. No. So about this theater school. Yes. So that's my um, full-time day job um, that I actually run that makes sure that I have that plan B of a steady income. But um, look, the idea, I think for any actor or presenter is always this idea of Hollywood and you want to make it big. And just during this process of studying, um, I had to pay my own way through uh, university and college um, just simply because Boxburg finances, you know. So, and during this time, after I completed my studies, I just realized there are so many other kids um, who are struggling with self-confidence, who are struggling with um, mental health problems or ADHD, and there's no creative outlet. And what started as something to just pay the bills and that was a bit of jawling money when I was younger um, became a passion. And uh, that's where my heart is at the end of the day is, and I think that's where the activism maybe comes in as well, is just to make sure that no one ever feels left out or as insecure as I felt growing up. You know what? I was actually talking to someone and I don't want to name drop, so I don't, I don't want to say who it was, yeah. but it's an international artist. And I was doing an interview with him about a week and a half ago, and he's very, very into um, inner city kids and drama groups and stuff because he talks oh, about his, his own struggles growing up in America and being the theater kid. And everyone was like, oh, you're gay, you know, like, like they have horrible words, just like we have horrible, yeah. horrible words. Um, and he yes. was like, the, the theater group was the place where he could come out of his shell and he could be himself. Whereas for, for the rest of the 24, three, two hours a day, he was just quiet, head down, like looking at the floor when he was walking through the halls because he didn't fit in anywhere. And he, yes. you know, he spoke so much into my story as well, because had it not been for the drama kids, I don't think I would have been as together as I am now. I think we all need our little chrippy. And for some of us, that's the, like the drama, you know, and and we need, (laughs) we also need that outlet. So, you know, things happen in your life. And when you are going through high school, especially lots of things are happening and you're falling in love and you're changing and, 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 and then you have this creative outlet, which I think, you and I are so privileged to have had, and I wish mm, that all schools absolutely. had drama. Like I, I need all schools to have either art or drama or hotel, absolutely, or something. I always say that, um, you know, by playing all these various characters and by having the opportunity to one day day be a doctor and then a lawyer and then playing an old person, whatever it is. Um, It just broadens your outlook on life. It teaches you empathy and relatability with other people. And in all those characters, you find your own identity. 
So by playing all these wonderful people, you take little parts from each role. Um, even now as a um, grown-up performer, there's little nuggets that I take from every role I play or every show I present where I go, oh, wow, I didn't know this about me or I didn't know I actually like that. And it just pushes you outside your comfort zone a little bit because that's where the real magic happens then at the end of the day. When you were starting out, Low, and I think this is a very important conversation to have because I think, you know, we look at your Instagram and we look at your following and we're like, oh my God, like this dude is so like, he has so many followers and he looks amazing and life is great and he's on all of these different things. But I think we need to definitely talk into when you're starting and you get your first agents and you go on those cattle calls and they say no, and they say no, and they say no. I want you to talk to me about that. Was there ever a point where you were like, maybe this isn't for me and maybe I should go and do what my parents are telling me to do. For me, I think it was a little bit easier because there was no other backup plan. I had to pay my studies. I had to um, make something happen and I had to prove to my parents that I will and I need to make it. I think uh, for me, the biggest struggle uh, was being told no because of the way I look. And, um, you know, with acting, it's 50%, maybe 60% of the time, it's about the look and maybe 40% about your actual talent or capability. So um, the journey itself in going for the cattle calls and uh, going for the castings and the auditions, those were tiring from the aspect that I knew that others didn't approve of me, even though I had the support of family, I was believing in myself, I was geared up, New York was waiting for me. (laughs) And then you constantly get these little critiques, or um, you just don't hear back from them. And that's what, um, you know, uh, starts that little cycle of self doubt. And uh, coming from a background of body dysmorphia, and uh, being so shy, being bullied in school, um, it almost opened all those own wounds where you want to go back into hiding and say, you know what, maybe not. And um, this maybe isn't for me. But I had nothing else to fall back on. By the time I was finished studying, I had a drama diploma. And I'm like, well, golly me, I can't study further. So <laughs> I either have to make this business work or I'm going to have to like clap tills at a checkers. And that's the option. So I had to dig a little bit deeper. And um, I, what I did, maybe not so healthy now that I'm older, is I just suppressed everything and said, you know what, maybe I'm ugly. Maybe I don't fit this role, but then I'll start producing my own shows where they don't have to see me. And <laughs> And that's actually uh, also what led to Drama Mamas uh, later on via was the fact that I was so burnt out from going to castings and being told I'm not good enough. And I spoke to my agent and said, listen, I have this idea and I know you guys have a production company and I know it's a long shot, but what if you guys just actually join me for one competition, just come see what it's like and <laughs> and then do add a little relook at that Abby Lee Miller and see that drama moms are equally as bad as dance moms. <laughs> worse. They're worse than dance moms. <laughs> yes. And that's how you start building your own thing at the end of the day. You, I think it's realizing um, that casting directors, agents, um, producers, no one at the end of the day um, – cares that much about you that they're going to say they want you and no one else. There's always someone prettier, someone skinnier, someone whose voice is a bit deeper, someone who's more manly, more feminine, whatever it is that they're looking for. And I think it's just figuring out that you are enough as you are. And look, that's still a daily battle for me. But um holding on to that and becoming your own hero and saying, listen, I am going to make this work, whether I need to wait uh, to make it happen, whether I need to start a drama school to pay my way while I'm doing acting or whatever it is you need to do. If that's a dream and a passion, you owe it to yourself to at least go and try before you give up. So you then begin to soar in your career and it looks like everything is going super well and you are established and you're on TV and everything is great. And then you leave an event and you drive home and you have a massive car accident where someone dies. Yeah. 
Tell me about this because I've seen some of the press around this and I want to talk to you about this, but I Mm want to know that evening, like what, what was going on there? Yeah. So I'll take you back just uh, a little bit. And it's something I don't often talk about. Um, I actually hate interviews about this because it, um, it opens so many wounds, but over the past six months, I spoke about this topic a bit more just because I realized how important the story might be to someone else experiencing this. And um, just going back, I had this TV show on. It was doing really well. Um, We got amazing coverage. We were in Heiskanuit and every other little magazine. We had a little article. And in that time that the show was airing, I was actually in Georgia in the USA um, doing a theater exchange program. Uh, and it was wonderful. I was living my life in the US and I came back the Tuesday and the Wednesday it was a friend's birthday. And uh, we decided to just go for dinner. Nothing big, nothing fancy, just a dinner and straight back home. And by nine o'clock the evening, I was in my car and um, I was just driving on the highway. And it's one of the most surreal experiences because up until this day, I cannot tell you what happened or how it happened. It just happened. Um, So I was driving, um, it's the emergency lane, then the fast lane and one lane over. So I was driving in that lane And then I saw something in the distance and I assumed it was a um, stationary truck because you could see the little white. And I put my flicker on to change lanes to the left-hand side. And as I put my flicker on, I just hit something. Um, Now you can imagine going at 120, thinking that the car is there in the distance, you see the white and you're just going to switch lanes quick, indicate, and the next moment you bash into something and um what i drove into was um uh, uh um a sleep bunky sorry <laughs> the, <A> trailer <laughs> trailer there we go sorry that escaped me now so i drove into the back of a trailer that was attached to the taxi that i saw standing in the middle of the road but um at that night, uh, Sunrail's lights weren't working, so it's a very dark corner. It's as you come around the bend uh, on the Edenvale off-ramp. Uh, car, the taxi had no hazards on. There uh, were no emergency lights, no cell phone lighting, no one waving around or giving an indication that there's something stationary. And um, the accident report afterwards showed that the moment between breaking and impact was 1.3 seconds. And there's nothing you could do in 1.3 seconds. You can't swerve. You can't go anywhere. There were cars in the other lanes. Um, I didn't even know um, that that thing was right in front of me and not something that looks like it's five or 10 meters ahead where the actual taxi was standing. And um, then I drove into the back of this van and, Sorry. Um, And then I remember getting out of the car and there was a gentleman in a black BMW who stopped straight behind me, almost drove into the back of my car and just braked in time, opened the door. And I still remember thinking, um, am I actually alive? Because as I was sitting in the car, the only thing I saw was this white thing right in front of my face. And it literally stopped um, like a ruler length from my face, 20, 30 centimeters, this white thing stopped. And I just remember going like alive, touching everywhere, making sure I'm not bleeding. And the last thing I said uh, when I saw this thing coming for me was just get out. That was the word. And I closed my eyes and next moment, this gentleman was helping me out the car. And there was a lady in a red jacket um, who ran over and she said, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. Did anyone get hurt? What happened? Is anyone hurt? And she said, no, no one's hurt. It's fine. All the taxi passengers are standing in the emergency lane. We're absolutely fine. And I go, okay. Um, And then as we looked over, we just heard this terrible scream um, that came from the van and um, yeah, there was actually a person who then died on uh, impact um, who was apparently fixing the tire of the trailer uh, that I bumped into. And 
Yeah, it's this, um, you can't explain that sound to anyone. There's a smell to an accident scene. There's, there's just so many emotions that go through at the exact same time. And uh, then they took me away from the scene. You know, you want to help, you want to lift the trailer and the emergency personnel just say you're not allowed to lift the trailer you're not allowed to touch anything or anyone you have to step back and they'll handle it and um we were on the scene up until about two three in the morning before i finally went to hospital and uh, when the doctors saw me they said that a that they can't believe i'm alive they did scans for internal bleeding and i had nothing to show not a blue mark not a scratch not a not even a bruise. And, and I still carry a lot of guilt about that. You know, I, I think that's the worst part of the thing. Sorry, I'm <laughs> a bit no, emotional. No, no, but, no. Um, but the worst part was that I had nothing to show for the loss I felt for that family. You know, in my mind, I was thinking that I had this desire to be gone. Um, I've always had the desire to not be alive and to not be here so why did this had to happen to someone who was maybe a very good person or who had a family or dreams or whatever it is and I that didn't want to be here why couldn't I go and um, that was followed the next morning by a call from a journalist who phoned me and the first thing he said to me was um Lo, do you know that last night five people died in the car accident? I burst into tears. There wasn't a hello. There wasn't an introduction of who this person is. I'm thinking it's the police phoning. Um, I just burst out into tears and I said, how do you know this? Who else passed away and how and where were they? Because when I left the scene, there was one person who passed on and two were taken to hospital. And uh, it was just this roller coaster ride of emotions, and immediately phoned the police officer who was in charge of the accident scene. And he confirmed that no, only one person passed away. He doesn't know where the media gets this rubbish, it's only one person. And as I drove back uh, that afternoon, on the lampposts were all the built articles already tv presenter smashes into the back of a trailer one person dies you know that whole effect that i was so shy to go outside of my house because i was scared people would know this is me and um later that evening it only got confirmed that it wasn't five people it uh, also wasn't the one person the two other people passed on in hospital so you feel pretty crap when one person dies i cannot explain to anyone the feeling when you know three people passed on on your watch um even though there's nothing you could have done um all the investigations um found that i was not guilty insurance uh found that i wasn't guilty both parties insurance theirs and mine and then sunrail obviously had their own investigation um and that uh, I was found uh, that there was no negligence on my part. But for some reason, that makes you feel worse because inside you, you feel that maybe you could have prevented it. Maybe you could have just drove in the slowest lane or whatever it is. Um, so that was a whole experience on its own. But um, up to this day, It's still a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress that you're dealing with, a lot of self-forgiveness that you have to deal with. Um, There was a a show for Hebermay where I had to talk about this experience. And um, in that show, I uh, wrote a letter to the family as well um, of the members that passed on. But because we're not allowed to really have contact uh, with each other, there's no room for healing and no room for forgiveness. Um, So it's very difficult to do that, especially when the week after you land on the front page of a national newspaper again. And um, obviously, uh, I mean, if you saw on social media, there were so many comments, some racial 
race, racially charged comments and others who just said, yeah, he's speeding and drove in the emergency lane. And drunk. I saw honestly, you were drunk. You were yes. wasted. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the investigation went so far that they uh, contacted the restaurant we were at to ask for the bill to see whether I purchased any alcohol. So thank God, no, but, um, and that that was cleared and that they found that I had nothing to drink and everything. But all those are small little victories in a sense. But um, when people make you out to be the murderer, you are the murderer. And it's so easily to become isolated um, when you start receiving death threats. And I had people um, reporting me to the EFF and uh, sending me death threats uh, in my inbox. And um uh-huh. It was, and then I phoned the um, one of the newspapers because um, when the Afrikaans built reported it correctly, but when it was translated over to News 24, they never specified whether I was in the fast lane or the slow lane or where the taxi stood. They just reported on the accident. And I phoned them and I said, listen, can you please just make the correct statement that I was not driving in the emergency lane? And obviously, they do a little edit right at the bottom of the article where no one reads it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and that led to these death threats. And I thought that was a con- uh, a confidential conversation just to say, hey, please just um, be mindful that this is an ongoing investigation. And it is a very, very hard time for me. And the next moment, the following morning, without having interviewed me, just promising me that, um, listen, they'll sort it out. And they're so sorry to hear about the loss and everything I'm dealing with. Slap bang, there was an article on page three, low receives death threats after accident. And I was like, um, I was angry at the time. And later on, you realize fine journalists are doing their job and you can't really be angry or upset because in a sense, you permitted an interview by just engaging um, in conversation. So, yeah, it's been a journey of uh, trying to forgive yourself. And I mean, I had eight diagnosed uh, mental health disorders uh, before the accident. So the accident just sends you straight over the wall. And it didn't help that we were still recording the show because the next morning, um, after being in hospital at 3am, I was back in the recording studio. Uh, there was no time to really process everything that happened because we shot for another week and had voiceovers for another week after the accident. And then we had the Americans uh, that I was with for the exchange program come to South Africa for their part of the exchange program. So for two months after the accident, I just kind of blocked out that there was an accident. And of course, during lockdown this year, all of that caught up to me in March and I had a massive breakdown that sent me straight to Denmark and uh, that's when I actually started journaling um, my mental health journey day by day everything that I've been through from age 10 straight through and we also released the documentary The Lowdown on Depression uh, which sheds a bit more light on all the different types of um, conditions that I have and what people experience and what the symptoms are that they need to up for and that was maybe my small um offering to the world to say i can't fix what happened but hopefully this can mean something to someone else and let them know that they're not alone and that mine was maybe a car crash but for every person in their lives they experience some crash somewhere whether it's losing a family member that means a lot to them, whether it's being fired from a job that you absolutely love, whether it's failing your kids or a failing in your marriage for whatever reason, whether it was your fault or not. uh, We all experience that moment where we are at our lowest low and it feels like life just kicks the hell out of you and you have to get up. There's no, there's only two options and, you're either going to cry about it and not be here or you have that obligation to yourself to say, I went through this. What is the next step to healing? What is the next step to make sure that if you now are alive and everyone's telling you, you should be so grateful and thankful. 
what is the next step to to actually try and and be here then and be here fully and be here present and show up for the people who need you and show up for yourself you know listening to this story um i i didn't i haven't told even joe this but so uh my show was is at the moment being broadcast from my house but for yeah. the last three years I've been driving to Midrand and I would leave the studio yeah. at 10 and then drive the N12 home and then get off and come home. And I remember seeing this accident. I vividly remember seeing this, this, was it a red? I think it was, it stuck in my yes. head. It was a red car and a white trailer yeah. and it looked like the trailer was in the car. Yes. And I remember driving past this and I, I always have the, I'm getting goosebumps. I always have this thing of, I don't look because I don't, I don't want to bring this kind of energy into my world yes. because I'm driving alone at night all the time. And I'm so scared mm-hmm. of, of being in an accident like that. And I remember driving yeah. past this car and I like out of my peripheral saw this red car in this trailer. And I was like, Oh my God, everyone's dead. Like everyone is dead because there is no way that trailer was in the car. Like I remember that and I still came home and I was really like, it really affected me very badly that I I came home and I told my husband about it. Like I woke him up and I was like, I've just seen this really horrible accident. And it's an like, and I think the reason that it shook me up so much was because we see these trailers on the highway all the time and they're always breaking down and things are always falling off of them. And it was just something that could have happened to me. Yeah. And then that when I was reading that article, I just, I sat on the floor and I was like, wow, it was you and you're okay. And I'm getting a bit emotional and I'm sorry. This is not my story. No, no, not at all. I'm already crying. (laughs) This is your story, but I just, I just, you know, I, I, I have so much respect for you, Lo. Like, I can't, you know, I have had small accidents and I have four months after that not wanted to drive. You got straight back up and you have, yeah, you spent some time in Denmark, which for our American uh, viewers, international viewers, uh, it's a mental health facility. The fact that you are willing to say that and able to own your truth is the most powerful thing that you can do. And, you know, looking at, you posted on Instagram a before and an after, and you said the Mm. last 10 months have been the most difficult, but the after you look incredible. You look, you sound your energy. Like you feel like you're not healed but you're definitely getting there and you're definitely facing your shit. Thank you. And I don't think Thank trauma you. ever goes away. Um, mm. I think that you'll hold it with you forever. But I want to talk about this, this journey because a lot of people like, so my, uh, my life shock was both my grandparents died. My grandparents who like raised me. My, um, I called my grandpa yeah. dad. They died within three yeah. weeks of each other in February last year. And wow. I found him and, it blew me to pieces, but instead of doing a low Breitenbach and working out and looking after myself, I mm. went straight to the bottle store and I got all the Jägermeister and all the vodka mm. and all I did was drink and eat for a year. Yeah. That's all I did. And now in lockdown, when I've been alone and I've had to face all the things, I've gone, mm. you wasted a whole year where you could have been like looking after yourself and changing your life for the better, you drank it away. So I want to talk about your journey. Was it like straight away for you that you decided I'm done, I've got to be good for me, or was it a gradual thing? Um, First off, I'm very sorry to hear about that. Um, I think think that's the, the crash that I referred to earlier. You know, everyone has that moment where nothing makes sense anymore and the it's just like the rug's been swept underneath your feet and you're flat on your back. And um, I also want to say, I don't think you wasted a year. I think that grieving is necessary, whether it is. Um, look, there could have been healthier options. There could have been this, there could have been that. But if we live with could have, would have, and should have, none of us would be here. 
Um, so for me, it might look on Instagram like it was immediately this fitness journey and yeah. positive thinking and mental health. And 10 weeks later, <laughs> 10 months later, I have abs. Um, but the part of it that, that no one sees is um, the avoidance of work. Once that show was finished and uh, once I um, was finished with all the hustling, because what I did was equally as unhealthy. I took no time to process what actually happened with me. I just worked and worked and worked up until my body collapsed and said, no more. You can't. I had panic attacks daily. Um, there was one day uh, where I had six panic attacks consecutively and my body was just so drained. And then reading comments about the show that was airing at that time after the accident and people go, yeah, yes, he's fat. Look at that clothing sitting a bit tight tonight. And then reading those comments while you had this experience, which a lot of people are blithely unaware of, and you have nothing to show for it. You feel crap, but you can't complain because you're not bruised. And everyone, I think the most irritating thing for me was everyone telling me how lucky I should be that I'm alive and how lucky I should be because it could have been worse. And you know that reality, it could have been worse. And I am thankful that I am alive, but that doesn't resolve all my questions I have about all the other people that should have been alive or could have been alive had that thing not happened at all. Um, so the mental journey um, for me is a lot more important than the actual physical transformation because mentally I had to go so down and uh, so low in my life and from that rock bottom place scrape up little pieces of hope to keep my career together to keep my studio running and luckily I had amazing staff at the theater who could take over the reins because there was a process after that where for five or six months I just couldn't give class I couldn't teach I didn't want to go for auditions I didn't want anyone in the world to see me and that's where the fitness thing started was looking at myself on TV, looking at what a mess my life is. And I thought, you know what? It really can't get worse. What's the worst thing I, I can do now? And um, I said in one of my Facebook posts um, after the, the, the Denmark um, situation, uh, I said that I went from sitting down crying in the shower to at least now standing and crying in the shower. And from there you go, okay, wait, I'm actually just sad in the shower, but I'm not crying. And then life uh, returns to a new normal. It will never be the same again. You will always, like you said, you will always hold on to that trauma, but there are pieces of yourself that you find again and new pieces of yourself that you have to create again. And um, that journey although not fond of it and although it could have been avoided, it opened my eyes to so many new possibilities and it made me stop and actually reevaluate my entire life because I went from someone dealing with depression and anxiety, ADHD, um, OCPD, body dysmorphia, and um, all these little textile defensiveness <laughs> and a list of things that I take medication for just to feel like a normal person. And the bipolar too doesn't help at all. But um, I went through all these things to try and function as normal as possible. And when I had to redefine who I am with this accident, with this trauma, with everything that happened in my life, the entire world stood still during lockdown for me to find myself and for me to actually face all the other traumas that I just suppressed for all the years. And, um, and maybe that's the blessing of COVID as crappy as it is. And as much as everyone loses everything they have and their worlds crash for whatever reason, at some point in your life, the world is going to stand still and you then have that obligation to yourself to say, I'm not done yet. And it's a choice. It's a physical choice that you have to make to at least, if you're not going to sit in the shower, then kneel in the shower and cry. And it takes months. It's the struggle that no one sees, but take the time to invest in you and the time to build yourself up and know that whatever that crash was, um, 
is a moment for you to redefine who you want to be in the future. So take your baggage with you. Everyone has it. Climb that mountain. But I just made a promise to myself that if I had to go through all this crap in my life, I'm going to bloody damn well climb that mountain because I want to see the <laughs> rainbow at the end of it. And I didn't suffer <laughs> all of this for nothing. I want to see what life can be if I choose to live. Because all the moments that I chose to please everyone else around me, that I chose to put everyone's needs first, I ran empty and I ran dry. So what if we just flip the tables and try an alternative? What if I try gymming? What if I try eating healthy? What if I try taking up a hobby like uh, painting and uh, taking up a hobby like reading up on mental health and actually understanding all these diseases and illnesses that I've been living with for two decades but never bothered to read up on because I have a psychologist for that. What if I actually do a life coaching course and start understanding what my illnesses actually are and how do I prevent triggers and address triggers and how do I see the warning signs and by doing that entire journey, uh, like you said earlier, you don't find healing, but you find coping mechanisms to help you just take the next step. And uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got was if taking it day by day is too much for you, take it hour by hour, minute by minute. Because if you can make one minute, you can make the next minute. If you can just push through this one hour, if your biggest accomplishment is just getting out of bed for that day, That's celebrate yourself for getting out of bed yeah. and be gentle with yourself. We almost want to push ourselves into healing and positivity and Instagram motivation. And that comes, it does come with time, but you have to be patient with the process and healing takes it its own time. There are days where I'm so fine and so good and so ready for life. And then there are days where the playback comes and you think, wow, yes, see, just want to have a dop and chop and chill because I can't life anymore. I can't do life. <laughs> and, um, and then it's a gradual process again, restarting, picking yourself up the next morning and the morning after that. And yeah, after two years and um, a little bit, you get to go, okay, maybe life is worth living. Maybe there is something for me in it as well. You know, this has been one of the most inspirational things I think I've ever, this, this is my favorite interview. I'm going to call you. it, this is my favorite interview. <laughs> but also because so like, I, I've seen this develop in you like on Instagram mm -hmm. I've now seen you become this person who speaks out on LGBTQI issues body dysmorphia yes. issues mental health issues like you are speaking about everything that no one wants to speak about and you're speaking mm -hmm. about it all and you're asking your followers to share and to tag so that you'll share so that you're getting this conversation yeah. rolling and I just think it's so beautiful that you are healing but you're bringing all of us with you Thank you so much. Yeah, I think it's just uh, in that I find little pieces of healing for myself as well. You know, the world can become a very selfish place and a very, very much a place of loneliness and a darkness when you feel that you are struggling alone. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why I started speaking out, because the more I spoke out, the more people said, but hey, me too. I'm also dealing with that. I'm also going through this. And by just seeing more people's stories and other people's journeys, whether it's the same as mine or not, doesn't matter. Everyone's dealing with their own type of demons. But just seeing other people's stories makes you realize that you are not so small and insignificant. You do belong to a family that's maybe not blood, but there's people who also have depression or also have bipolar or who also lost um, someone they love that means something to them. And that is how you, you form your own support group in essence, not necessarily by joining one or going somewhere. Um, I know some people won't admit to even having a problem apart from public appearances. So they say that, please keep me anonymous or whatever. <laughs> but just the fact that young people can hopefully search on the internet and see, hey, 
this person speaking about it. So I'm not alone in this. Again, um, just helps us to form bonds and uh, realize that even though we're completely separate, we're still together in a sense. And there's always someone who understands you, um, someone who shares some of your stories and someone who can hold hands with you and say, listen, I'm holding space for you. I don't know exactly what you're going through. I can't relate 100%, but my shoulder is here, my ears are here, and my hands are here to carry you as well. Lo, you are an incredible human being, and I don't know if you drink, <laughs> but I'd you. like to buy you a coffee. <laughs> yes, please. I have a coffee addiction, luckily. <laughs> that, and I think you're the type of person where you can clap a few coffees together. Oh, yeah. Like more. The, the biggest double espresso, triple espresso you can imagine. We'll have like a couple of those, and we'll leave like this, and our anxiety will be so much worse. <laughs> we'll just take some rest. But we'll feel better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Um, so because you're our, our, our wise mental health, you've been through the worst, <laughs> you've come out the other side, you seem okay. Like you seem okay. Mm. Yeah. What are you, your parting words for, for all of us? Cause we're all going through something. It might not be as big yeah. or as much or as little or whatever. We're all going through something. Yeah. Absolutely. I think now with COVID, everyone is becoming aware of how short their little fuse actually is because the smallest sensory overload can send you into a panic and uh, make you irritated and people are just generally angry and over this year. And um, I think the most important thing um, that I will part with is to break the silence, no matter what you're going through. Um Sometimes it's very difficult. You don't maybe want to speak to a family member or even to your friends because you're scared of the reputation or the wreck that comes with it and the labels that come with it. But if you can break the silence on whatever you are struggling with, that will be your path to healing because you will find so many other people who share stories that inspire you and you go, damn it, if that one could have made it, I can make it too. If I am still full-bodied and that person who is not full-bodied can do mountain climbing and reach a goal, then heaven knows I can walk to the shop. And those are little stories of inspiration we find to keep ourselves going because we finally have the empathy to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and see that our crash is not the only crash and our accident isn't the only accident that happens in the world. There are millions of people who share trauma and who are connected by trauma and the only way we find healing is by opening up that wound instead of plastering it up the whole time and letting that wound fester up until one day we just explode like a champagne cork. Um, so open up about your wounds and then the last note would be to just be kind. Um, we don't always know what other people's struggles are. Um, sometimes we see someone in the shop and they're rushing and we think, oh, they're so rude and why can't this person just indicate or why are they driving so fast? We don't know if they're on their way to an emergency. If I just imagine the way my dad drove that night to get me to a hospital, look, we were not the, <laughs> the uh, most considering uh, at that time or months after I was just so angry at the world that I was very short on phone calls and very short on replies. So you never know what someone else is going through or why they are have some actions um, because sometimes those uh, bad qualities that they have is just uh, symptoms of the wound inside. Yeah. So be kind to everyone and understand that everyone has a battle and we may not know the battle. So try and see the good and try and be the good in the world. Laura, this is my favorite interview in the world. You have to come back on the show. Like <laughs> I find you. you so inspirational. Thank you so much. You know, there's this thing that you should surround yourself with the people that you attain to be like and like yes. people that inspire you. And this year that's taught me this more than ever. So I really yeah. hate to tell you this, but you're my new friend. And because you live on this brand, we're going to be friends now. Gladly. <laughs> gladly. <laughs> Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for all the kind words and for the platform and the opportunity that you and Joe provide uh, to speak about these issues. I really appreciate it.
Awesome. So that's it. We're done. Thank you so thank much. You. That was incredible. No, thank you so much. Your story um, yeah. is like insane. Like, <laughs> thank you, Dan. You know, like you, you I really appreciate you're it. You're sitting there and you were saying, um, you know, you look at other people who are like able bodied and whatever. And reading your yeah. story, I was like, what the fuck is your problem, Danny? Like he went through this and look what he's done. You just, someone just died and you're like in your family, like normal people. And you're like drinking and throwing your life away at McDonald's. Like, look at this dude. Like he went through actual trauma. Like what is your problem? So you are- Look, I'll tell you, I I also walked my journey. (laughs) Maybe not with drinking and McDonald's, but I can promise you, I definitely discovered a few bad habits of my, (laughs) that you journey through and that's why I say it's part of the healing process and we can never be down on ourselves and be like oh I wasted all this time when I could have just be positive um, immediately life isn't that way and and there's no time limit on healing you unfortunately when you suffer loss or suffer trauma that's just it comes with life and I think the most important thing um, that I realized is I didn't die with them. A part of me maybe wanted to, and it felt like a part of me died, but I am still here. You are still here. And your life and your legacy needs to show that it was worth calling them mom and dad. It was worth them having spent their life um, being there for you. you Sorry, I'm somewhat emotional over here. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I'm... Accept Bali of the highest. Oh, no, also note, me, but, don't worry. Also me. But yeah, but just like the fact that they were there for you and they cared for you means that you have that obligation to live your life as an honor to them. And that was the biggest thing for me is I can never make them come back to life. Their families, even if you do apologize, I don't think anyone could forgive it. Mm-hmm. So the only way um, I can make a difference is dedicating my life to say, I'm going to make sure that I touch a life somewhere. I'm going to make sure that I inspire someone. I'm going to make sure that I work on myself so that it was worth getting out of that accident without harm so that, um, yeah, their lives mean something and they don't just become another no-name statistic of three people who passed on. Mm. And yeah, maybe for your story, that's hopefully something nice you can carry around in your heart to know that a little part of them is in you and a little part of you may have died with them, but you are still here and your life is not over. And if they were there, they would have loved to see you doing your thing exactly like you are owning it like the boss bitch you are because <laughs> I, um, I look at you and I just go this woman is fucking amazing and that's why <laughs> I said like I, I I love Joe and and no offense to Joe like I'm a fan of him as well but I just like I was looking at yourself and I'm like I want to meet this woman she's amazing <laughs> okay so, so yeah equally right back to you yes you have, you have my number Whenever you are ready and willing, let's go and have coffee. Like on me. Let's go have coffee. Perfect. Hey, deal. I look forward to it. And it's a definite. Absolute definite. I would love to. Have the best weekend. And thank you so much. for. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Remember, you can catch the full video on xotv.me. And you can meet us in kind of real life. Thanks to DJ Chalk for the music. You can catch him at www.chalksprosound.co.za. New episodes on Jackpod and XOTV every Monday. Love you.